Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Morning for Joy Cheese. I'm your host, Joy Keyes, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And guess what? Now you guys can hear us on Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. So please follow, check us out, make comments, love it, all right? This morning, powerhouse, I say powerhouse, triple, fourth, quadruple threat person, Tony, uh, Drama Desk, Drama League Award, a nominated actor, director, writer, producer. Um, You might have seen him on The Butler. You might have seen him in Birth of a Nation. You might have seen him on Fear of the Walking Dead. Just recently, you probably saw him on an awesome episode of Euphoria. Um, So much more. He is a playwright. Uh, actor, producer, like I said, and he's just like constantly working. I don't know when he sleeps. This is Coleman Domingo. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Joy. How you doing? I, I had a good night's rest, and I'm up and ready to, to have a chat with you. Okay, you got your coffee? Because I heard that you need coffee before, like, you get really into stuff. Oh, I, I had two cups already. I had two cups of coffee what? and my yogurt. Yeah. I oh, my God. Wow. How many cups do you drink? You know, I well, you know what, listen, I sort of I have to pregame sometimes before I even go for a coffee with a friend in the morning. I have to have coffee okay. at home because I'm not good for anybody to go have coffee. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, look, I want to say congratulations. Um, you just won um, an honorary doctorate degree. Um, from mm. Osinus College. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's such an honor. It truly is. Yeah. And it was given to me by um, someone I went to who was my prom date, actually, Carrie Ofori, uh, who I went to Overbrook High School with, uh, who is a, a doctor of philosophy and African-American studies, and she's phenomenal. She's in Osinus, and um, she and the, the board uh, – Decided to give me, um, you know, an honorary doctorate, which is wonderful. That must have been such a, a, you know, great feeling inside. Because now we just talked earlier. You went to Temple University, but you didn't study acting there. What did you study? I studied journalism, Joy. I wanted to be a photojournalist. I wanted to go to war and torn places and and document um, some things that are going on in the world. And somehow, not somehow, I took an acting class as an elective. And one of my teachers there, his name is Chris Wolf. He said that um, I had a gift as an actor, and he said he would be interested in what I would do with that gift. And I took a month. I took it upon myself to move to San Francisco, and I started my acting career there. I just I thought I, 
you know, see and inquire what it was about. And then now here we are 30 years later. <laughs> Crazy. What was your first acting gig? Do you remember? Oh, of course I do. My first acting gig was uh, with a company called the New Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And it was theater for young adults. Um, and I toured all over California um, talking about um, – I was a young kid who was infected, uh, who became HIV positive uh, through mm-hmm. a blood transfusion. And basically mm-hmm. I toured talking about, you know, talking about the AIDS crisis. So now um, do you remember what you wore and when you got the call and, like, how did you feel, that, that feeling of, like, oh, my God, I actually got it? You know what? No, because I was just so – just out there and wild and just trying things out. I don't know what I was wearing. I'm sure it was something with like, you know, bright colors because that's just what I do. Um, <laughs> and I was just, I was just, you know, listen, I was skinny and eager and I had a lot of energy and I thought I'd try new things. And so I went in with a lot of heart. And so I know that I got, I remember I had the call back. I didn't know what they were talking about when it comes to blocking or um, the way to dissect a script or anything. I just went in there raw. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I guess I had some raw talent. And I booked the job, and then I had to learn everything by reading. I would go home and read books by Uta Hagen or Stanislavski or Meisner, and I would go into rehearsal and apply them. You know, I remember I had um, one of my fellow actors was uh, marking out his script with the the letters U S D S, which means you know upstage, downstage, you name it. Mm, and so he was doing okay. his block. I had no idea what that was. I didn't know what upstage or downstage was, stage left, stage right. I knew nothing. But I learned everything by watching and asking questions and figuring it out. So I just went in with raw talent and then learned everything else. Now, we're both from Philly. We, we talked about that. Do you remember, what's your favorite Philly food? My favorite Philly food? Now, I would, it, you know, I would be remiss to say it's, it's a cheesesteak. You know what I mean? I, if I didn't say it, it was a cheesesteak because I love cheesesteaks. I really do. Now, I love now them, are you a cheese whiz? Are you a cheese whiz or a I, real cheese person? Whiz or provolone, it all depends. Okay, but okay. I also have, I, all right. I, I like you now. I you said provolone, like, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> provolone. I now order like I always yo, yo, can I get a cheesesteak with salt, pepper, ketchup, pickles, and sweet peppers? I still know exactly my order. See, <laughs> look at that. Look at that. Always a Philly guy, you know, forever and ever. Um, now, yeah. let me ask you this. Um, I was reading that you use this app called Rehearse App Pro. Can you tell the audience yeah. about that? Rehearsal App Pro is an app that you download. It's great for actors to memorize their lines. Basically, you upload the script into it, PDF, and then you can highlight the script. You can even record voices. So usually I'll record a lot of – I'll record everything, but I'll just change my voice for the other actors. So I usually record everything, put it in there, and then sometimes when you play back, and you listen to it, you can listen to the lines while you're in the car, whatever. So you start listening to it like it's music, and that's how you start learning your lines. And then you can even, like, black it out so you can see how much you remembered, you name it. But it's a really cool app. It's, like, the best, I think, like, 30 bucks or something like that you'll ever spend. Wow. They didn't have that when I was acting years, you know, no. years ago. No. Um, <laughs> that, that's, an awesome, that's an awesome tool. When I heard it, I was like, what in the world? Oh, my God, I love this. Um, what has been the hardest there. role? It will save your life. What did you say? It will save your life? Yeah. Yes. It will. What has been your hardest role that you've had to play so far, do you think? Oh, man, Joy, my hardest role that I had to play. Um, 
I think it all depends because I, I feel like each role has its own set of, um, I don't know. I, let's see. Challenges. Immediately, immediately I would say the Scottsboro Boys. Um, I did um, mm. a production, uh, you know, Scottsboro Boys I did from off-Broadway all the way to Broadway and the West End. And it's really taxing because I played uh, like five different characters and it really, mm-hmm. you know, it, and I played the villain in many ways. I played, you know, racist white men in the South in the 1930s. And um, and I changed costumes quickly and characters. And basically I was underweight by about, I was usually about 10 to 12 pounds lighter than I usually am because mm-hmm. I sweat off. And it just required everything, focus, um, heart, uh, passion, and, uh, I don't know, a sense of responsibility. I mean, you have a responsibility of telling the Scottsboro Boys story. And I feel like you wanted to take that on, that on every single performance and make sure you got it right. Um, yeah, so that was, I think, the hardest that I've ever, uh, and I, I was in, what, four productions of it, I believe, or five. What would, you, what would you tell young actors now to get them ready for something like that, the challenges of, you know, physical acting, film, TV? What are some tips and tricks you could give them? You know, I always tell every actor that it's, it's not enough to just have talent. You have to have an, an incredible work ethic, and you have to just work really hard. And sometimes you don't even see the work, and I think that's the important thing. Like, like let's just say, for, for instance, when I just um, – uh, the episode of Euphoria that I just did, um, mm-hmm. the only way I could do work like that on that show is to rehearse on my own for 40 hours a week. And that's what I did. I put myself on a schedule. And I was like, okay, I get up in the morning, and I do this work from 7 a.m. until at 4 and I do that every day uh, because I mm. want to get, do research. You know, there's a lot of work that you're going to do that you're not being paid for, but just because you have a responsibility and that you respect the work and you respect what it requires. I'm always asking directors to send me scripts much sooner than later because I don't have to just spend a week on it or two. I'm like, no, I need to really get the work done because I respect the work that much. So I, I was told – fellow actors to really truly respect the work and respect the time that it takes and, um, and the detail and to know everything and then to make it look easy. I think that's usually mm-hmm. try, I try to do that with everything, to be honest. Ma Rainey just came out um, on Netflix yesterday. Um, yeah. When you got that part, were you jumping? Because I heard you are a Wilsonite, if that's the right word I'm using. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they call us either Wilsonites or Wilsonians, either one. But, you know, yeah, you know, I got that call uh, when I was in New York doing press. And my, all my, my agents and my managers were there for the first time ever. They never used to come to press. But they were all there because they wanted to be in the audience and hang. And then I, we came out of there. And I was about to get in the car and fly back to L.A., and they told me I just got an offer. And all I heard was like, oh, Netflix is producing, Denzel Washington's uh, you know, produ- uh, producing, George T. Wolf directing, Chadwick Boseman, Viola Davis. And I was like, whoa, 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 whatever it is, I'm doing it. It doesn't even matter right, what I'm it down. was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm down. I want to be in the room. That sounds just great. And so, um, please, I was so – I was over the moon because I, I just knew that it was um, an opportunity to – be a part of an August Wilson um, legacy work. Uh, one of his works translated on film. I, yeah, I love August Wilson. The way he, the way black people talk about uh, themselves and represent themselves in the room, especially when white people aren't around. Uh, August Wilson is the greatest interrogator of 
African-American life and culture uh, as a playwright. And so I was just down, down, down to clown. Mm. I I read that you directed um, one of his pieces and his wife came. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that experience? Sure. I directed a production of Seven Guitars at Actors Theater of Louisville. Seven Guitars is an incredible play. It's beautiful. Um, it's all part of, you know, August Wilson's Century Cycle. And it t- this one takes place in the 1940s, I believe. I think, yeah, I think it takes place in the 40s. And it's just incredible. And um, But it's also about jazz and the blues as well. And I had yeah. an incredible experience with that. Uh, there's a young man, um, Alphonse. Alphonse, he's now on that show, P. Valley, uh, who was, um, he plays Lil Murda. He was my lead. And he was incredible to work with. Um, I feel like he's a young um, Denzel Washington, to be honest. I really loved his work. And uh, the phenomenal cast, like Sharon Washington, who is, you know, just a, who's been in everything. So I had a just great time, and it, it wears you out. And August Wilson play will bring you to your knees because it is truly um, like directing Shakespeare or O'Neill. It's very, um, it, it calls in everything you've got. There's so much detail and uh, to create this world and then to wrestle with his language. Uh, and to pull out the meanings of it and to translate it for audiences. So it just, um, it's a beast. <laughs> and I had a great time. I, I love I love working as a director probably even, you know, I love my work as an actor, but I love working as a director. I love bringing people together and um, wrestling with themes and doing dramaturgical work and research and guiding a team uh, with the language of and the themes of the, of the play or the film or television show. I love directing. Mm. Now, King of the Bingo. Now, tell the audience what the connection between that and 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 there's a, a famous writer. Um, yeah, how you got that uh, name? Mm-hmm. 1999, I did my first film, and it was an adaptation of Ralph Ellison's King of the Bingo game. The guy, you know, from the South is down on his luck. He spends his last bit of money to try to help out his um, ailing wife who's pregnant and he spends it on a bingo game. And then it's just about him trying to win this game, but at the same time he loses. So um, it's just mm. a really story. And you can find it up there. It's out there on PBS. Um, somewhere out there is called King of the Bingo Game. And that's where that comes from. That was, you know, I think what, that's the late nineties when you're looking for names to give yourself on in, in social media or online or, you know, <laughs> email addresses. And so I chose King mm, of Bingo. Mm-hmm. Now, you collect things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, go for it. I collect things. Yeah, you collect pieces from different shows. Like you have a piece of the Abigail Yacht from Fear of the Walking Dead. You got a bingo board. Do you have any other pieces that you collect? Yes. I'm always basically, you can call it collecting or stealing. I listen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nobody heard that. Don't don't turn them in. Don't turn them in, please. (laughs) Every so often I may collect something, it may just go home with me. And it's something that maybe my character wore or something that's significant. It could be as simple as a pen. I actually took a um, my wedding band from this short film that I just did. I actually just saw it the other day. And I'm just like, I'll just collect something that I think is meaningful, that I think I may, I may, I may want to pass down to other generations or be at the, you know, the Schomburg or something like that. You know, I feel like something that's mm-hmm. meaningful. It, you know, I was here, you know. Right, right. Now, you're also going to be up, uh, coming uh, in, up in, ugh, I got a little tongue-tied there, sorry. You're going to be in Candyman. Jordan Peele wrote yeah. a part for you. 
Um, and that delves into the Cabrini Green Projects, um, which was in Chicago. Can you tell the audience a little bit about um, the character you play in that? Sure, I can tell you a little bit. I got to leave some surprises for you, but basically, oh, okay, surprises, um, surprises. <laughs> basically, my character is just um, he holds some um, some great questions about uh, the Korean Green Projects, about um, placement of people. Uh, so I think that he's really uh, I don't know. He holds a lot of secrets to uh, the film. So that's mm-hmm. what I can say. <laughs> that's all you can tell me. Okay. Now, how yeah, about exactly. Zola? Now Zola, you're now playing a pimp and Zola. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, dirty pimp and Zola. He's uh, but but I think he's incredibly charming. It was um, it was a great success at the Sundance Film Festival last year. Uh, it stars Taylor Page, who's also with me in uh, My Rainy's Black Bottom, and Riley Keough, and everybody's cousin Greg, um, Nicholas Braun from Succession, and it's just four four fools going from Detroit to Florida. And um, mm-hmm. then it becomes about, like, you know, exploitation of women. It becomes about, you know, there's crime, there's uh, drama, there's humor. But it's based on uh, a Twitter feed that was very popular about maybe three years ago. And so it was translated into film, and it's wild, man. It's wild. And, <laughs> I, and I think people are going to unknow me a little bit because I, I went a little deep. <laughs> with this yeah, character. yeah. So what scares Coleman Domingo? It seems like you're fearless. You're doing this character, that character, you're writing, you're producing, you're, you know, the East Coast, West Coast. Are you going to go to the moon next? I mean, what, what scares Coleman Domingo? Immediately, the moment you said what scares Coleman Domingo is racism. That's exactly what scares me. It scares okay. me, but, you know. <laughs> because, but also, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty – I've always had a sense of um, fearlessness, truly. I, I was in the circus when I was in my early 20s. I always mm. do things that I think will change me or open me up to something new. I think um, I love to travel. I love to eat. I always try new things, new experiences. I've always thought that that's a part of living life, and I never want that to uh, take me. I just like to move forward and try new things. Um, and that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of experiences. I feel like um, truly now – whether it's in my career or my life, I can look at even my home and see it's a product of uh, of me being a bit fearless. Just the things that I'm not afraid of when it comes to color, texture, experiences, plants, you name it, that I'm always just looking forward to another um, adventure, to be very honest, and something that's going to change me. I heard that you're a bit of a nerd and you're reading architecture books. What's up with that, man? Oh. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I all I have all over the house is architecture and travel books. So that can, that will tell you a lot. And when I have a lot of like Story Sunlight books and photography books and um Gordon Parks and you name it. Um some uh first editions of like Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, you name it. But I love architecture and I don't know it just sort of like grew. I think any any great interest it just becomes very organic. I just I didn't know that I was as interested in architecture but the more I, I think once I started, I bought a home about three years ago, and it's um, a mid-century modern, and I loved the information that I would get about the architect and design. Mm-hmm. And then so I started to just, it just 
took off. And so I buy a lot of books about architecture. And then wherever I go to any city, I go sort of an architecture tour. Not even sort of. I go on an architecture tour. I actually went on one of Philly when I was back in Philly about a year and a half ago because I realized I think my idea of a Philly was um, archaic, and it would just include mm-hmm. certain – I didn't really look at the architecture like downtown. I'm going for walking tours and knowing the reasons why. And, and you know, so I did all that. I just was fascinated with it. And, you know, the, yeah, it's so I, any city I go to, I love to really just, like, explore the architecture of the city. Yeah. Do you have a favorite architecture, uh, uh, architect that, that you're really into now? You know what? I do. I think some of my favorite architects are, like, um, there is, uh, I'm going to say who's my favorite. Uh, Lautner, I love. I love Lautner a lot. I also love um, A. Quincy Jones. Not the Quincy Jones, but A. Period. Quincy Jones mm-hmm. is an incredible mm-hmm. artist, and his work is. What is it about his work? What is it about his work that you like? You know, it's all these mid-century, uh, you know, these post and bean lines. Everything was just about, you know, it was after the war. You know, it was about how to be more uh, functional. But that function turned into incredible style. That's usually sleek, mm-hmm. and it's used post and bean with cantilevers or you, you, just knowing the reason why, slanted roofs, you name it, I think they do it so well. And usually it's about indoor-outdoor living, and that's why I'm such a okay. – that's why I moved to L.A. because I love the idea of indoor-outdoor living, that it should be organic with the outside, whether it's the hills or the trees. Like my house has, you know, I have pine trees and I have palm trees and I have views of both. And so – and large doors that open up so I feel a part of nature at all times. That's what I love about mid-century modern um, architecture. Yeah, you um, are into gardening and, and going out there a lot. Um, how did the gardening start? Is that something you, you learned from maybe like your mother or family, or is that something you did on your own you started getting into gardening? It started in the pandemic. <laughs> 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 I, suddenly I had time to think about it. I never thought about gardening in my life. You know, my my mother had gardens. Um, I mean, my sister gardens, but I never thought about gardening. It just felt, it could, but I realized I never had time. So finally I had time to get my garden together. And I was in this house for about two and a half years. And then I look around, I didn't have a lot of plants or anything. I was like, you know, I need some green greenery out there. And so next thing you know, I'm at Lowe's, Home Depot, Nurseries, literally every other day, just going, mm-hmm. dropping some money, buying plants and, and seeds and trying things out. And now I do know that on my mother's side, you know, we come from, you know, I'm, I'm a descendant of slaves and people who were working fields and all. So I feel like and there were a lot of more farmers than I, that I've looked in the, the now the history books. They were farmers. And so there's something that I guess comes a little natural to me as well because I, I think I understand it. It's not even about – sometimes I'll read some – um, books and periodicals about gardening, but otherwise I try to just be intuitive about it. So I'm like, well, you know, it's mm-hmm. natural. So I should watch over it, look at it, uh, water it, take off the water, move plants around, see how the sun responds to them. But I really feel like I'm listening to them. And I love gardening. That's become my new passion. Wow. Yeah. This COVID situation has really changed a lot of people. Um, some people are like, I guess, uh, imploding and other people are expanding and um, like, for example, you got into gardening. What are some other things that keep your sanity during this COVID time? Period? I have, I've probably been I'm probably been one of the guys who, to be very honest, I sort of did, I had to disconnect from people always, you know, calling and 
you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, there were all these Zooms and people wanted to have cocktails and all, but then it would inevitably get into the despair. And I was like, I mm-hmm. can't do that. I can't, that's not any way to live. And that's not. So I just really started to just like find peace and silence, have some quiet meditations in the morning, um, do something for my mind, body, and soul every single day. Uh, will work mm-hmm. out. Everything's pretty consistent and pretty mindful, to be very honest. It's like, oh, no, I have to do that because I know it'll make me feel better. Uh, because I okay. can't, can't be stagnant and let my body go to hell. I can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So I, I honestly feel like I, I actively do things that bring me joy. I will, I always make a great meal. I will cook really good meals, like uh, slow cooking too. I, I'm like, since I had time, I would, you know, I would smoke ribs for six hours and, and listen to some great music and then be in the garden. And then, you know, I've been blessed to have a pool. So I would always, around 5 o'clock, get into the pool uh, with my husband. And we would just, like, float float around, have a cocktail, <laughs> chill, <around>. talk about the day. <laughs> yeah, I just literally just float yeah. around. It's the floaty around me and just, like, float. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly. exactly what you do. And create, to be yeah. very honest. I was like, during the pandemic, I've been creating. I, like you, we talked about earlier, I created a show called Bottomless Coleman's and found yes, a way to connect that. people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, found a way to connect people and bring people together from home. It's like I thought it was a great opportunity to innovate and not to, you know, put my wounds over the things that I can't do and just say, oh, I wish this happens or I can't wait till theater opens. I can't wait to get into production. I'm like, let's see what I can do now. What can I mm-hmm. do now? Make me feel yeah. full and feel, feel like fills fills me up with the connectivity to the rest of the world. And so that's that's why I did that, you know. So that's what I do. Let me. Um, I have a question from a fan of yours. They said, "I'm truly in awe with his deliverance as a performer and what he gives to every role." They said, "What is the first thing that connects for you about the character when exploring?" The first thing that connects for me is the fact that I have to have some, to be honest, a little curiosity about the character and a little trepidation. Where I feel like I don't know if I can do this. I'm not quite sure. Something that's a little scary where I feel like I might just fail. To be very honest, I'm drawn to that. I think if I've done a mm. version of it before, I'm not interested because I've already explored that. Because when I explore, I go deep. I go deep into character work, um, research, development, you name it. So I feel like, oh, I've already done, done something like that. And usually a lot of times in this industry, if people see you do something well, they want you to do it again. And you're like, nah, I'm good. So I will wait for, <laughs> or create the opportunity where I feel like that scares me a little bit. So I usually go mm-hmm. there. And then once I have some great, like, I'll say the character in Zola, who is um, based on a real guy, but he really is someone who traffics women. And I thought, mm, oh, wow. this is, and I'm such a feminist. And I really thought, you know, the film that I did just prior to that was If Bill Street Could Talk, where I'm everybody's dad, and really have great relationships with these women in my life. And so the idea of taking a hard left and exploring this role I wanted to tap into something that is human in this guy and also find out what makes him tick, what, what hurts him, what does he want, what does he want by doing this, uh, what's he trying to access for his American dream. So I wanted to humanize him, which will make him more complicated. So that's what drew me to that character. I thought, well, here's a character that I not necessarily would be attracted to, but this is the way I could do it, I think. I have to go on that exploration of his humanity. Yeah, that's one of the greatest. When you see, like, the evil character, but then there'll be that yeah. one scene where you see that humanity, and you're like, 
damn, I was just hating you for the last 45 minutes. And now yeah. you're like, well, maybe I feel a little bad for you, maybe? And, you know, And that's complicated. And that's very complicated. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm drawn to. It's like somebody who you're like, oh, I shouldn't be caring about you at all. But then you're like, but wait a minute. I have to find out what makes you human like everybody else. And then I can have a bit more compassion for you, even though you're doing terrible things, you know? So that's what I like I about certain characters. Yeah. Let me, there's some rapid fire questions because we're coming down to the, the wire here. What's your favorite okay. drink? Uh, as a uh, cocktail? Cocktail drink. Uh, Black Manhattan. Black Manhattan. And what's in a Black Manhattan? Black Manhattan is a, it's basically a regular Manhattan. You make a Manhattan with, you know, I make mine with rye and then some bitters and a little um, sweet vermouth. But with the black Manhattan, take away the sweet vermouth and add Amaro, which is an Italian uh, uh, aperitif. It's lovely, wonderful, herbal, and it just makes it all yummy. Mm. What is your favorite movie like that you watch? Not as an actor, but that you watched. It's a Wonderful Life. Really? Yeah, I watched wow. it. Wow. I think it's incredible performances, incredible hope incredible despair. I feel like it's a perfect film. Mm. How about your favorite book that you've read? My, my favorite book that I've read, let me think. Favorite book, favorite book. Mm, I would say, <laughs> maybe I won't say that. You I, have so many. <laughs> I, I have so many, so that's why I'm just like, hmm, my favorite book. But I would just say something as simple as The Alchemist, actually, by Paulo Coelho. I feel like The Alchemist is a book that I've read at least five times in my life because you always read it uh, when you're about to go through a change. Wow. five! Yeah. You, everybody has that type, type of thing, a book. I'm a book reader. I have tons of books in my house. And, but you know, there are people that don't read. Coleman. I yeah. mean, it's amazing. If I go to people's yeah. house, they don't have one book. It's shocking. And they have no, nothing to talk about usually. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. What's your favorite place to visit when you're traveling? when you're like, say, all the places, where's the favorite place? Japan. And why Japan? Yeah. I've been to Tokyo and Kyoto, and I love uh, Japanese culture. I think people are kind. I think people are more concerned about the we than the I. I think, um, I don't know, it just really, I really responded so well to Japan. And I was there for, what, um, two weeks. And I just love the culture and the people and um, the sense of tradition um, also you know, it was so deep that people had a true understanding of themselves and their place in the world, you know? Mm. Okay, this is and my the, last and question. Perfe- and they're perfectionists on anything that they're interested in. I've actually had my, the best French meal I've ever had, not in France. And I've been to France many, many times. I've, my best French meal was actually in Japan. Get out of here. <laughs> What? Yeah. Never would have thought that. Never would have thought that yeah. in a million years. You went because to Japan were, and had the best French meal. So much. Yeah, they, they respect culture so much that when they do it or they investigate it, they go, they go full out. Right. All right, last question. How can someone win the Coleman Domingo Award? <laughs> you can win the award. I established this award um, in partnership with the Vineyard Theater in New York. Because I looked around, to be very honest, and I knew that there was never an award given to an uh, African-American male or male-identified person. There's 
And mm-hmm. you, I just looked around. Honestly, there were no awards. And I thought, you know, what if we gave a $5,000 award to an artist once a year and I, got, I get it underwritten by great comrades and myself and other institutions and be like, you know, $5,000 is like, hey, you, you can take a month off from your life, not worry about your overhead, not worry about this job or whatever, but you can take that time and actually be an artist and actually create that thing you want to create. And so usually we get submissions all year long. You know, usually they go to the vineyard. Um, I'm sure you can just go to the vineyard theater online. And and usually, you know, we, we get submissions from from the community. We you know, some, I'll post something on Facebook once we're looking at submissions. And then we'll just really examine these people, have some interviews, and really find uh, the right person who can, it can benefit. Usually somebody who's at a sort of crossroads in their career when they haven't had a major production. And there could be a multi mm-hmm. – for my money, I want it to be a multi-hyphenate theater artist, someone who reflects, you know, sort of like the way I bend into the world as a theater artist. And I wanted to help support yes. them to make sure, you know, there's got to be another Coleman Domingo. So that's why I actually put my name <laughs> in the world. On the, on the award, I'm like, yeah, the Coleman Domingo. So then at some point you'll get, you know, York Walker, who was the inaugural winner of it. Hopefully York will establish a York Walker Award in the future. And I feel like, mm. again, we, a black, black men, we've got to attach our names to, to things to know that it's black men supporting black men as well. So I knew yes. that, that was specific. Yes. From, yeah. so, That's so really beautiful. That I, I mean, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, this has been awesome. I've loved our conversation. I hope you had a good time. I had a blast, Joy. This is the most fun I've had on a Saturday morning in, 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 in like a year. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hopefully maybe one day we'll get to meet and we can have a cheesesteak with provolone, um, with oh, pickles, and yes. all that stuff. <laughs> oh, you promise? Oh, my God. You got my mouth all water. And you're like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, you have a wonderful Saturday. Um, have a great time in the pool today. And um, I wish you so much success in the future. And there is only only one Coleman Domingo. Ah, there's only one. Thank you, Joy. Be blessed. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye bye. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I was just speaking with the great actor, director, writer, Coleman Domingo. Um, you can check him out on uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Um, he's going to be in the uh, upcoming Jordan Pill movie, Candyman. Um, you'll probably see him in Zola, uh, so many things. Um, he's working on his own uh, musicals uh, for the Young Vic in London. So check him out. Uh, right now, definitely check him out at Bottomless Brunch at Coleman. That's such a fun, quirky show he has where he's bringing people together, teaching them how to make drinks and, and have brunch. I hope you guys had a wonderful time listening. Um, tune in next weekend. I'll be speaking with Spice Dog's mom. She's a poet, and she's written a book about being his mom and dealing with his death. So you want to tune in next Saturday to check that out. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. Stigma may not directly affect you, but it harms the one in five Americans living with mental health conditions. Which prevents millions of people from seeking help. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to CureStigma.org and get tested for stigma. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. 
Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.